0: Welcome to the FacePlace Podcast. I'm your host, Mel, oral health therapist and orofacial myofunctional therapist. Each week, I'll be interviewing a health professional from a different area of healthcare to learn all about their area of expertise and how it relates to oral and facial function, dental health, and the whole body. Let's get to our guest. Kathy Boyce is an oral health therapist and orofacial myofunctional therapist. She is a breathability breathing educator and myomunchi practitioner. Kathy works in all areas of orofacial myofunctional therapy, including functional neuromyofacial therapy for the TMJ. Outside of the OMT world, Kathy educates dental practitioners on the use of silver fluoride, and she has a podcast of her own. In today's chat, we dive into orofacial myofunctional therapy, eating practices, sleep, breathing, brain function, and ADHD. Enjoy. Hi Kathy, welcome to the Face Place podcast. Thank you so much for being my first guest. Oh Mel, it's my pleasure. I'm honoured to be
1: your first guest and and thank you for inviting me because I'm excited to talk a little bit about
0: myofunctional therapy with you so the world can get to know. Today we're talking about orofacial myofunctional therapy. So Kathy, what does that mean? What do you do? What does
1: an orofacial myofunctional therapy do? Well, let's see, like lots of everything. I think one of the, the the most important traits is we have to be an investigator. Because we have to figure out what has gone wrong that brings the clients to a place of, of practice. And even when I I sort of say, oh, you know, orofacial myofunctional therapy, and people just look at you and I go, I know, if you can
0: say it, you don't need us. <laughs> I know, that's funny. My mother once said to me, Can you get a job title that people can say? <laughs> <laughs> But
1: so but basically it's investigating what has gone wrong, how it's gone wrong for the individual client. And the the type of concerns or dysfunctions that we work on as myofunctional therapists, it varies. It varies on age, um, stage of life, stage of development, what the presenting factors are. So what we have to do is we have to look at perhaps why they might be in that pickle, mm-hmm. how, what the dysfunctions are and the reasons that they are presenting to us because not every dysfunction needs assistance but Mm. not every patient knows that they've actually got a dysfunction in a certain area as well and then and they don't realize the health implications of that and then of course we've got the perhaps in my adult clients you've got a lot of pain that goes with their dysfunction in the tmj area yeah so it's sorting out how they've gotten there What are the contributing causes and then uh, how we can begin to restore them to um, correct function and therefore health?
0: Yeah, that's right. Because what brings patients to us isn't always the cause or the root of the problem, is it? (laughs) What what, has someone turning up if it's something like jaw pain? That's not really all that we're dealing with. No, because jaw
1: pain is and, and, and clenching and grinding is a parafunction of something else and it's usually a parafunction from poor head posture and perhaps um, incorrect breathing technique and that could be something that they have uh, just adopted and it mm-hmm. may not be lifelong. It might be something. Sometimes a change in job, a change in career can mm-hmm. bring about that kind of thing
0: but nobody, yeah, interesting.
1: nobody understands that until you start doing the investigation.
0: Yeah, just a bit of a tangent on the jaw pain. I have been seeing recently um, female hormones and the onset of TMJ pain as being a bit of a pattern lately too. Well, yeah, hormones are,
1: are, are tricky things because they do, yeah. they, well, see, the thing is they. They are contributing factor to lots of things, and mm. the way people deal with certain, you know, jaw pain used to be, and clenching and grinding used to be about stress. It used to be people would go, oh, they're just stressed, so we have to stop them, you know, stop those muscles from doing that. But uh, if you're going to try and stop that muscle from doing that, and you don't address why they're in that, and and it's not like we don't work as psychologists, but we undo the <laughs> the why the why the clenching and grinding is is being done and that's usually to do with breathing because there's lots of people walking around with stress in their life that don't clench and grind that's <laughs> yes, exactly right yeah. thankfully
0: because we would have a big problem on our hands if that were the we, case
1: yeah I mean we do have a huge problem be- and, and one yeah. of the things that has tipped a lot of people over the edge and they don't even realize it is the working from home situation Mm. because they're now working from home and they're working where they're not taking a break. So they're sitting there doing, you know, hours of the same repetitive posture and can be poor posture because the ergonomics are not set up correctly. Yeah. And whereas if they were in the office, they'd get up and go and wake a coffee or they'd go to the next pod and they'd have a conversation so they'd be up and down and, and moving around. But when you sort of change that workstation and that workplace,
0: that makes a huge difference so yeah. it's interesting so yeah it is <laughs> um so your original role kathy was well dental therapist and then oral health therapist which are mm-hmm. clinical dental roles so how did you yeah. come to study orofacial myology and then work in myofunctional therapy i've always been somebody who thinks outside the box
1: and even in our own health journeys you know with our kids even before our kids were born i was thinking outside the box you know i wasn't going to be laying flat on my back, delivering a baby when you could be upright kind of thing. And and yep. so all of the ladies who are now delivering babies, what I would call correctly, <laughs> and thank people, okay, there, people <laughs> like me <Yep. laughs> who we were battling that kind of thing in the 80s. And it's so lovely to see what is now the norm is what we had to fight for. So I guess I've always looked at things a little bit differently I was an athlete, I was a basketball player and so I came across a lot of alternate therapies that way like chiropractic care and massage therapists and I did work for an orthodontist when my kids were young and I got to see how you know, kids unraveled mm-hmm. to, to need orthodontic work and I also saw the difference that ortho work could make to kids and it wasn't just about their teeth. So I saw how kids unfolded because they could breathe better if they had expansion. Mm. And, uh, and it was back in the olden days, you know, where you did the, it was, you know, extract lots of teeth and things like that. We didn't actually understand the full complement of the airway compromise when that kind of thing happens. But, yeah, so I, I've always looked like that, you know, looked at things a little bit differently. And then I guess I saw my own kids unravel because we had the dummy too long and I saw what Mm -hmm. happened to their mouths and uh, they're they're grown up kids now. But I don't know, I just, you always keep your radar on. I love learning. And so when you love Mm. learning, you're always got your radars up. And so this was a a really natural transition because once you start learning, as you know, Mel, once you start learning a little bit about myofunctional therapy,
0: you can't unsee things no (laughs) that's quite an impact on your social life is what you can't (laughs) unsee always anywhere you are you're always yeah like you're not looking but you see
1: well you see it but you see kids that are presenting in the dental clinic for a checkup Mm. and 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 you just see them unraveling you see that they're mouth breathing and you see that their mouths are crowded and and you see all this kind of stuff that you don't really think that you didn't think about because we weren't trained in that that aspect no neither, neither was I um, yeah yeah I mean and you you were trained a lot you know further down the more track, recently I, I <laughs> we'll more say recently. more recently Kathy <laughs> yeah but we we used to you know like if kids were grinding their teeth we'd say oh you know worm them it, it some kids mm. just do that we had no okay. idea it's a para of something and you've got to work out what it is so you can help them not do that because that's how I, I started I think my um yeah. natural sensitive mind yeah, made me ask
0: why it. enough times. Ask and you... why enough, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The career that you've had, your clinical dental career, has been 40 odd years. Is that right, Cathy? Yeah, it has, yeah. 40, <laughs> had a bit of 40... experience behind you? Yeah, 43 in clinical dentistry. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't include my awesome. training. Yeah, no. it's a long time. And in that time, have you noticed, you know, just personally, anecdotally, has there been a change over those decades in facial appearance and development? Have you seen it? firsthand
1: i think i know where you're coming from about you know our poor breathing and the way people are chewing and and swallowing and things like that Mm. yes and no people have always had dysfunctions but we're way Mm. more aware of them now and i think our social and and home settings have changed so that uh you know like Kids are being exposed to what I call adult, adult, adult settings. Like you've got a two-year-old who really, really wants to sit in a big person's chair at the table, but mm-hmm. it's so unsupportive. And so therefore what they're doing is they're, they're not sitting up correctly, so they're sort of slouching. They're bringing the food, you know, to themselves in a non-excellent way, <laughs> okay? Not ideal. Yeah, they're not, uh, ideal. They, they're not <laughs> ideal. They're jumping down. They're, why, we, why are they getting down from the table all the time? Because it's just not comfortable for them to sit like that. So I'm a really big fan of getting kids to be supported sitting at the table, whether at the little tiny sh- table or having them sitting in a, a youth kind of chair at the table where they can actually mm. sit up, be supported in their eating. Now that kind of thing will flow on into their oral development and their nutrition. We are a much busier paced, you know, life. But I was a working mum, so we always had a busy life anyway. Yeah. And we did a little bit more meat and three veg kind of foods where there was a bit more chewing involved. Mm. I I look at our diet now, Mel, and I look at, you know, we chop things up and we make stir fries and we do things like that. And it was boring back when I was a kid and, and you know, we just meet, you know, you did your sausages and your vegetables and, you know, you just, you got to chew all of that, but there was the flavors and everything certainly weren't there and it's a lot better now. But I think our diet has changed and certainly the access to fast foods and easy to digest chicken nuggets and easy to eat chicken nuggets. And there's not a lot of chewing. And we all, we both know that chewing is one of the most important things that you can do and
0: chewing well for your gut health telling your body that you're about to digest
1: (laughs) (laughs) introduce the enzymes yeah the first stage of digestion happens in your mouth so if you are not sitting there balanced with good core support and being able to chew with your mouth closed and chew and chew and chew and then make it pulverize it and then swallow it then the kids are missing out and adults are missing out on the first stage of digestion and then they have what I call it the boarding school mentality, you know, <laughs> where yeah. if you don't hurry up and eat it, it's not going to be there for you to eat. Mm.
0: Yeah, especially that. Yeah, if you've got the child who's um uncomfortable at the table too, they want the meal to be over. So then they're either chewing less or eating a food that doesn't require as much chewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So oh, yeah, well, we cannot possibly understate the importance of chewing. No, we can't. No, because it sets everything up. And you know, it's
1: jaw growth. It sets jaw growth up. It sets you know, when you're chewing with your mouth closed or you're breathing at the same time, and if you can't do that, there's something wrong, and that's where we come
0: in. We, we start our investigations at that point. And that's a good segue into my next question, which is, in your opinion, is there an age group who benefits the most from what we do in terms of assessment or a therapy? Not a trick question. There might not be an age group. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there is. I think as soon as the parents
1: or providers or practitioners or speech pathologist or whoever is treating the child sees something going skew if and they can't find that answer if they know what the norm should be and in our world it's chewing with your mouth closed it is um, sleeping with your mouth closed sleeping peacefully it's not tossing and turning at night it's uh, you know there's all of those kind of things there's so many things that we we deal with but if you can't if there's something that uh, is not going right then that's the time to deal with it. And whether the you know the child is very young or whether mm. the person is much older. Yeah, there's it's it's when when it's discovered, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Like and the answer you-
0: to most of what we do, it's individual.
1: Yeah, it is. That's why it's called therapy. Because if it was just a sense of, you know, a box of exercises, then then people would, you know, pick that up and run with it but it doesn't work like that because it's such an individual design look the programs people go oh what sort of do your programs run do they a certain way and I go no because it depends on what we're unpacking
0: mm, and, yeah it's and not we,
1: cookie cutter no it's not definitely
0: yeah so you've mentioned sleep and breathing there already a little bit Kathy so mm-hmm. a lot of the patients that we work with we're looking at tongues and teeth and development and lip closure and things like that. But a lot of them are having disrupted sleep or dysfunctional breathing or both. Mm-hmm. And I know you have a particular interest in brain function in relation to this. So, what has the research or your research told you about the impacts of disrupted sleep and breathing on brain function?
1: Well, if a child or an adult, but particularly a child who's got a developing brain, is having disturbed sleep and even though they might be in bed for like 10 hours and that people your parents go well they're in bed for 10 hours so they must be sleeping well not necessarily slow so if they're tossing and turning if they're sucking their thumb all night if they're grinding um, or making weird noises the brain is active all through the night and so therefore the brain is not resting. And when a brain is not resting, it's not converting short-term memory into long-term. There's a lot of action that happens in the brain when it's closed down for good, solid, restful sleep. And the children should be able to move through their sleep cycles without waking up. They might rock, you know, turn over or something like that, but they're not thrashing around. And when they are moving through those sleep cycles, there is a process that is going on in the brain. And if you rob that, then the brain does not rest. Now, funny thing is, what happens is because the kids are not resting during the night, they wake up tired and they get tired during the day. Typically, they don't get look tired and sleepy. Sometimes they do, but sometimes the brain also keeps them so active because it doesn't want them to go to sleep, that it actually keeps them overactive. So you get a lot of hyperactive kind of uh, activity. And when you've got that day and night, then you've got a really wrecked kid. There's a wonderful book called Sleep Wrecked Kids by Sharon Moore, and it is a wonderful resource, and it explains everything that we've been talking about here. But that young developing brain, they reckon for every... Year, I think it is, of having sleep disturbance, the IQ drops 10 points, which is huge when you are looking at cognitive development, brain development of a child. Now, you can make some of that up along the way, but uh, it certainly makes it hard for them to learn in school and to sit there and to concentrate. And just a night grinding habit can do that. It can set the kids up to be fidgety during the daytime unable to concentrate, they, their emotional fragility is, is
0: crazy. So, mm.
1: the, you know, sleep sleep is super important.
0: Yeah. And we're seeing that disturbance primarily in relation to an airway obstruction. Is that right?
1: Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. The airway is, is obstructed. Now, it could be obstructed by the tongue. It could be mm. that the tongue, they're sleeping in a position where their tongue is falling back into their mouth because babies these days are taught to sleep on their back Mm. but what happens is they they tell them to sleep on their back and then they say oh and you should use a dummy and then the dummy is to bring the tongue forward now if you are still got that habit of sleeping on the back when you're older and you don't have a dummy then what's the tongue going to do it's not used to resting on the palate because it's used to having a dummy in there so those kids are the ones that are best off sleeping on their sides when the dummy's out for sure. And, mm. and then you've got to look at the reason why. You know, is the tongue actually restricted and it can't elevate up mm-hmm. into the palate and, um, and take, up, take it out? It's a huge muscle, the tongue. People, you know, when you poke your tongue out, you only see a tiny portion of what the muscle really mm. is. So it actually is quite, yeah. it can be quite obstructive to
0: a little airway. Yeah, it's quite unreal. Uh, that Something you just said there, Kathy, I think is probably worth um, talking a little bit more about because perhaps people listening might have flagged it but be unsure what you mean. Babies being put on their back, that is our current public health advice um, to place babies on backs to sleep. Yeah. But has it not always been that way?
1: No, no. <laughs> back when I had kids, you didn't put them on their back, you put mm-hmm. them on their side because... it was about choking and it was about having you know if they had a little um you know vomit or something like that that you didn't want them to choke but and then we're looking at all the SIDS and of course you know SIDS has affected our family so I'm not dismissing SIDS at all Mm -hmm. but they've also done lots of stuff on you know not overheating taking smoke out and things like that now I'm you know that's that's the current recommendation in Australia, and not all countries actually have that recommendation, by the way. And and so when you do have that, and then but now they they're also saying and then give them the dummy to bring the tongue mm. forward. That's what it is, and, and that to also help prevent SIDS. So until research comes out to say something differently, but I mean, who's going to make? do research on that
0: <laughs> you know? yeah it's not the sort of thing you can randomize is it you can't no. give one child a safety precaution and the other a not that's no that's not no, an acceptable right. research practice <laughs> yeah it is it's, it is
1: and and you certainly couldn't do a randomized controlled trial on that and i'm not saying it's not wise but for some yeah. children it may not be the best practice but it's something that the parents have to to look at and you know no, i'm not saying putting them on their front either. But, uh, no and I'm not I'm not saying anything actually but when you yeah no, no this is not that, advice <laughs> but no no but when a, when a child is old enough to turn over okay like they get to nine months or something most of those kids will actually decide they don't want to be on their back they'll no. turn to their side or their front because they know some kids stand on their heads to go to sleep now if you've got a kid who's sleeping bum up in the air with her head down you can bet your bottom dollar there's something going on
0: with the airway and the tongue there
1: because mm. that is absolutely that your...
0: was me mm. really okay my mother actually yeah. she just got some photos out the other day because my daughter looks quite a lot like me and it was mm-hmm. just a a exercise in comparison and a few of the photos were me in bed in that tripod sleeping yeah. position that you're describing mm-hmm. and yeah, I was snoring. I had chronic ear infections, eczema, an undiagnosed tongue tie, mm-hmm. <laughs> narrow palate, small small lower jaw. So, yeah, I know sometimes, you know, if it's a, if it's a once-off and things like that, perhaps they're just cold. But <laughs> we're talking about a consistent sleeping posture in that bum-up tripod scenario.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard of kids actually almost standing on their head, mm. you know, not just bum-up, but the whole it, – it's crazy – what the brain will get the kids to do to allow an airway. I was looking at something just this morning actually on tongue sucking, and mm. somebody was asking about what would cause tongue sucking. And, and, and that's one of the things that that's another thing that kids that might do when they're sucking their tongue, they're trying to bring their jaw forward and their tongue forward to get it out of the airway. Now, mm. that might not be an obstruction, but there might be allergies. And whatever they're trying to do, they're trying to work really hard because when you're sucking your tongue, you can't have your mouth open, okay? So you're usually bringing it all the way forward. You're blocking off your oral airway so you're fighting like crazy to get a nasal airway. Mm. Yeah, so it's sort of looking at those little habits and things like that. There was something that you mentioned before about allergies and eczema and Mm. all of that. Now, when a child or an adult is mouth-breathing, shallow-breathing, their breathing is way more rapid and particularly if they're under, you know, um, stress with not getting enough air. So they're trying to breathe either nasally very rapidly or they're breathing through their mouth. Because the air doesn't go all the way down into the lungs like it should, they usually to mouth breathe, they'll posture their head forward. So they'll curl up into a ball or they'll do something like that. And because they've got their head forward, that opens up their oral airway. So they're breathing through their mouth. And mouth breathing does not have to be wide open. It can Mm. be, I could use the term silent mouth breathing. I don't know whether you'd do that, but that's where people are mouth breathing because they don't really know that they're mouth breathing. Okay, Mm. so it's, it's so silent, they don't even know that they're doing it. But when you're mouth breathing, your pulse rate is higher because you have to breathe more rapidly. And when your pulse rate goes up, your body is on a high alert of fight or flight mode. Now that sends your um, immune system into a bit of overdrive, your neurological system into overdrive. So your eczema and your asthma and your allergies all tend to come to the surface because they're not dealt with. So one of the things that we find when we're getting people, adults, kids, breathing correctly is those symptoms are reduced and one of the reasons is because when you're nasal breathing correctly you're not making as many histamines mm-hmm. so you don't need to have antihistamines to counteract yes. that yes. <laughs> and the other thing too is when your nose breathing well you're actually using those sinuses and that clears and filters mm-hmm. the air so the mm-hmm. allergens are not going straight into your lungs and, and causing trouble so.
0: yes when we do it the way we were supposed to it all works better it does funny enough yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what I wanted to talk about leading on from the brain function element um, of mm-hmm. what we were discussing earlier is that we're seeing an increase in ADHD diagnosis particularly among women and girls which in one way is good it's great that people are you know, they're getting the support they need, they're getting the understanding of their neurodiversity and and that's wonderful. But what we know from our work is that ADHD often coexists with sleep and breathing disorders Mm -hmm. and in some circumstances uh, can be misdiagnosed in the presence of a sleep and breathing disorder because the symptoms are so similar. Have you found your work and orofacial myofunctional therapy helpful for people with ADHD? Yes,
1: particularly in the children. Okay. And the reason why is we're allowing them to sleep better. And when they are sleeping better, then their cognitive function is going to be better and their executive function is going to be better. Are they still going to be on that plane of having perhaps ADHD? Maybe. However, they can actually begin to deal with some of the consequences of the way their brain functions in a little bit more uh, mature fashion because they've got the ability to be able to do that. But when you are tired and you're wired and, uh, and then you throw ADHD on top of that, then, yes, it's very difficult. The other thing, too, working with adults, getting them to be able to breathe better and more... Correctly, functionally better, they can actually use their breathing to uh, manage some of the outpourings of an anxiety or the ADHD. Mm. which often goes to, to regulate it. Goes hand in hand when you are an adult.
0: Mm. So things like emotional outbursts and things like that. Learning to to breathe and stop.
1: Yeah, and this is not, not about box breathing. This is not about the. I mean, I'm a breathing reeducator as well, and so. Mm. It's not
0: about taping their mouth closed, which you and I do not like, okay? <laughs> yes, quick um, message to anyone listening. Don't tape yeah. children's yeah. mouths. Thank you. <laughs> well, the thing is
1: all you, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know why they've got their mouth open. So you've got to investigate why, okay? There's, it's not normal. It's not natural. And you don't know whether, you know, you would hate to think that you've got this, they've got this obstruction there and then you're taping their mouth shut mm-hmm. and they're just, you know, you're really exacerbating the, the problem. But with the adults, just getting them to be able to breathe correctly and allowing the air to go down into their lungs and not hold it because, you know, you, you hear a lot of things about box breathing and all of that. That's rescue breathing. That's what happens when you're really in that state and then you, you're desperately trying to get your uh, emotional regulation back into in, on track. So, you, you know, the box breathing is one technique that I know is very commonly um, taught. But I like to get my patients breathing just so relaxed and gentle and diaphragmatically, which is not deep. It's just using the diaphragm to catch the air instead of the upper chest. And what happens is they don't get to that level. They are aware that they're they're feeling calmer. I teach them how to circular breathe when they're speaking too so that they're Mm. breathing in and then speaking out. So they're basically nasal breathing in every way. And it makes a huge difference to them.
0: Yeah, so you're finding it's primarily the breathing function that would help an ADHD diagnosed patient. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's not about just teaching them how
0: to breathe; it's allowing them to breathe.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's setting them up for success.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so would that tend to involve other practitioners? Because I guess that's part of what we haven't mentioned yet is that we don't run the show as OMTs. Um, Other, like other people are involved. Oftentimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we have the ENTs to make sure the airways are clear. Um, We have oral surgeons sometimes to, you know, to help with tongue tie releases. Uh, Some ENTs will do that as well. We have um, body workers, okay. Who Mm -hmm. help with um, like chiropractors or osteotherapists or, or sport and exercise science people, physios to help with some of the body functions podiatrists are really important okay because if you've got uh, if you've got a body function that is being compensated from the feet up and and then the, the kids are trying to get balance so they might be you know skewing their chest forward or something like that to make them breathe you know through their mouth because they're trying to get balance so I you know you have to look at everything and so we sort of often send our patients to different areas and, and you unpacking this this dysfunctional parcel <laughs> <laughs> platter. but yeah. it's really good because the, the lights go on to oftentimes when you're talking about this the parents go ah yeah, they're doing this or they're doing that or oh, I've always done this. Mm. you know pelvic stability and good orthotics go hand in hand. If you've yeah. got pelvic stability, then you can sit up straight and your back's going to work, and then you're, you know, you'll be able to keep your head over your shoulders,
0: and that helps with your breathing. <laughs> and you can support your jaw to chew properly. That's right, yeah, yes. that's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so you've mentioned the breathing re-education that you do. What is the course or what's the method that you go by because there are a few out there?
1: Yeah, I use um, the breathability mm-hmm. technique which is, was designed by a physiotherapist who was also a buteco educator and her name is Tess okay. Graham and uh, she's out of Canberra. I don't know whether she's doing any live courses anymore, but it was one of the best things that I ever did to, you know, you've got to kind of, as you're going through this journey of learning, you begin to pull in other areas where you know that you're not quite knowledgeable enough in and so then right. you, you, you take on other courses. The best thing I ever did because you can't get proper function without really understanding how to breathe well. I, I don't believe, okay? Mm. Um, and, um, you, you know, to get the jaw to hang correctly so it's not tense and grinding, then you have to understand the breathing side of things. Yeah, there's a lot of overdeveloped masseters muscles, you know, those big cheek muscles, which the men seem to think is very sexy,
0: <laughs> But, because they want big strong jaws but if it goes, it makes me think of um is it prince charming and shrek I'm uh-huh. the right movie he has this huge jaw but no it's not always a sign of good function no 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 it's not <laughs> sorry i have some rapid fire questions to end our chat kathy which you've gotten ahead of time so i'm not gonna throw you too much of a curveball all oh, um, right if- yeah If you could change one thing about our current healthcare system, just click your fingers and change it overnight, what would it be? I think it would be the disruption
1: of what I call primacy bias, where people have learned something and that's what they've learned so they've stuck with that program the whole time and they don't open Mm -hmm. their eyes and start exploring everything. As a health practitioner, it is our obligation to keep on learning and you learn from all different sources. And that's yeah. probably a source of frustration for me because my brain <laughs> works differently, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. but, well, that's um, what CPD, our professional development, is, is supposed to be a, a inbuilt mechanism to make sure we do that, isn't it? It is,
1: yeah. But some people still don't, you know, they don't think like that. And you're not going to change everybody. I mean, I'm, I can't change the world, um, but I can give people... Especially not with energy. only one thing.
0: <laughs> I'm only giving you one <laughs> thing to
1: change. Yeah, but that's that, I know, you know. The other thing, I suppose, if I can have two, is that my functional therapy would be validated as a a really accepted
0: form of allied health care, mm, like with health fund anything. rebates and Medicare funding and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know about Medicare, yeah, sure. but I but the health fund for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I just I think that that would be that would be valuable.
0: My second question is what do you wish was taught in schools about health? That the importance of chewing your food <laughs> with
1: your mouth closed well <laughs> and if people can't do it, then there's something going on. That, that mouth breathing and sitting there with your mouth open is not a good thing. And I just look back. I look back to our school days and we were sitting yeah. upright in a desk and you know, it doesn't suit everybody now because they're all wobbly and things like that. And they, they often have to sit in alternate seating. But mm. it was, uh, we were sitting up like, an, and I was like you, Mel, I was a mouth breather.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. It was sit up straight, Kath, sit up straight, close mm. your mouth when you're chewing. And I didn't know I desperately needed my tonsils and adenoids out. And I got them out in grade five. My personality changed in grade six. Mm. I know when it happened. I know the day that I came out of my shell. Now, that wasn't yeah. just because I was in grade six, but there was a, a shift
0: because I was able
1: to breathe correctly. So, yeah, that's, that's okay, interesting. Well, so, I have a
0: friend who teaches home ec. I might have to get her to sit the kids down and eat the food after, after they cook it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and get them chewing. And like
1: that sort of picky eating, that picky eating thing, that's mm. a really red flag that there's something going yeah. on. So if parents not are out there listening and your kid yeah. is a picky eater, you've got to say why. Mm. Yeah. And it starts because the brain tells them that they shouldn't be eating this and there's got to be a reason mm. why.
0: So. Yeah. And then finally, is there a book or a podcast, a documentary, some form of media that you think everyone should watch or listen to? And this one didn't have to be health-related, so... Throw out whatever you like, Kathy. Oh, gosh. Okay. I've only put health-related ones. Okay. That's fine. Um, that's good too. That's, that's usually where I, I think first, but yeah. <laughs> i just giving the option in case it, it was a bit left of field. <laughs> yeah. The really good book by
1: Shireen Lim that has just uh, yes. been released recently, Breathe, Sleep, Thrive, is excellent if parents are looking at finding out a little bit more about that. And the other one is Tongue Tie. I'm not doing these for advertising, but this is just, these are my go-to books that I (laughs) recommend. No affiliate links in the show notes, guys. (laughs) Yeah, Tongue Tie by Richard Baxter. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's an American dentist who recognized and and the amount of people that he has contributing to that book is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And, And I know some of them personally, and it's just been incredible. And then I, and for adults, perhaps Snored to Death, which is David McIntosh. That's probably where I started in my yeah my whole breathing um side of things like I I had done my myofunctional therapy training and then I went down and did a a course in Brisbane with David
0: McIntosh and it just opened my eyes uh, Mm. more wider okay yeah his books are very easy to read like if you um health professional parent anyone yeah you can just pick it up and it just you don't feel it is very well researched and referenced, but you don't feel bogged down in it like it's a textbook or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's what um, that's what I feel about the other two as well. And then if you wanted to listen to other podcasts, not Mel's because hers is going to be awesome, but I have one as well, <laughs>
0: yes.
1: which um, covers all sorts of things because I'm doing mm. I, I that was a, about my dental you know bent as well uh, when I was doing clinical dentistry, and that's beyond brushing. Very good we'll have that in the
0: in the show notes for you yeah Mm. because it is a good podcast um, I quite like a listen to
1: that one. It is it's wonderful I started that actually Mel in during COVID Mm. to keep not just myself busy but I needed to I had so much information in my head and everybody had time on their hands to be able to sit in their homes and um, and and speak on via podcast and so That was something that it was great for me, but very valuable for the community too, because everybody had time on their hands back then.
0: Yeah, I've listened to it many times on the highway between (laughs) when I've been working in different towns over the last few years. It's been great. So the podcast is one way to work with you, Cathy. Um, How else can people get in touch or how else can they work with you? Well, I run a a a orofacial myofunctional therapy clinic in
1: Townsville called Townsville Orofacial Myology Clinic. And like you, Mel, we service local clients, but we, we do online work as well. So mm-hmm. our clients. I actually work for Melbourne TMJ and Facial Pain Centre as well, doing myofunctional therapy for that's a specific TMJ clinic, physiotherapy practice, but there's very multidisciplinary and so I do their myofunctional therapy for their clients
0: as well. So And that's yeah is that telehealth That's that from Melbourne that's based all people? telehealth. Yes, that's all telehealth. Well, it was a lovely chat today, Kathy. We went, went here and there on our topics, which is good. Um, and that's, that's a lot of the work that we do. There's not, it's not sort of a straight line. So it was really good to, uh, to hear it from you yeah. as well. Yeah, I think both of us have got the passion, Mel, for driving health forward. And that's what you need. Thank you for testing out my um, software this morning, Cathy, for being my tech support. Um, And it was great to talk to you. So the show notes will have how people can get in touch with you. Thank you so much, Mel. Thank you so much for listening to the Face Place podcast. If you would like more information on this week's guest, you'll find links to their social media, website, and product offerings in the show notes. If you'd like to work further with The Face Place, you can find me on Instagram at thefaceplace underscore OFM or thefaceplaceofm.com.au. See you next week.